0: Hey guys, welcome. I've got my little Easter bunny here, and we are going to talk about Easter week. So let's get started. Easter week is the week that Jesus comes into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. It's a wonderful celebration. Jerusalem has swollen over a million people, it's packed out for this big celebration, remembering God redeeming Israel from Egypt, this is all about the Exodus, is what Passover is meant to represent. So Jesus enters on Palm Sunday. Anybody remember what Palm Sunday is? Yep, that's the one where the kids make all the little palm leaves. So Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem to cries of Hosanna, to cries of of welcome. They're welcoming him as a king as he rides a donkey, interesting. This is prophesied in the Old Testament by the prophet Zechariah, and we see this in Zechariah 9.9. 9. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides in a cult into the city, and the crowds, they spread their cloaks, and they spread tree branches on the road ahead of him, and they welcome him with cries of, Hosanna to the son of David. Because remember, the, the Messiah was to be a descendant of King David, and Jesus was a descendant of King David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. People had heard about Jesus. He was well known. He had risen Lazarus from the dead. He had done miracles. He had healed the sick and the blind. He had fed thousands of people miraculously. People knew who Jesus was. And then he enters Jerusalem like this. People know something's up. He is the talk of the town. now. One question I had was, why did they put their cloaks on the ground in front of him? Why did they throw their cloaks on the ground for his donkey to walk on? Well, it was a sign of respect because back then, obviously, cloth had to be made by hand. It was very expensive, very labor-intensive, very time-consuming. and Your materials, your clothes were very valuable to your well-being And so by taking your cloak off and throwing it on the ground, on the dirt for a donkey to walk on is a sign of sacrifice and respect. So Hosanna means save us. So they're crying out for the Messiah to save us. Now there's some talk about whether or not the Messiah was thought to be a military leader or not. That common understanding is that the Jews expected their Messiah to save them from Roman oppression, that they thought the Messiah would be a military leader. Now, do believe that some of the Jewish people did understand that this was going to be a more spiritual salvation, but there definitely were those that thought this was going to be a military salvation thought that he was gonna raise an army and throw Rome off of the backs of the Jewish people and free them. But Jesus was coming for something far more permanent, far more long lasting, far more important. He was coming for eternal life. He was coming to solve the problem of sin. We no longer have to go to the temple and sacrifice animals to talk to God, to reach God, to make atonement for our sin. And it was all pointing to Jesus pointing to the Messiah that God promised in the beginning to send. So they're excited. Jesus comes into town. Everybody's a buzz. They don't know what's going on, but they know something's happening and they're excited. So then Jesus goes straight to the temple. He goes into Jerusalem and he goes straight to the temple and they're like, yes, okay. He's going to present himself to the leaders. We've got our Messiah. Let's go. Well, you know what he does in the temple? He goes into the temple. He looks around and then he leaves But the next day he comes back, he raises a ruckus. He kicks out all of the money changers, all of the vendors who had set up inside the temple, external walls. They weren't supposed to be in there. They were supposed to be outside the temple. He also stopped people from walking through the temple. The external area of the temple is where the Gentiles came to worship. So it was an important place for Gentiles to come and be part of the worship. But because of its location in the center of the city, it had become a shortcut by merchants of all kinds. They were just traipsing through the Gentile court in the temple. And Jesus was not happy about this because that's not what the court was supposed to be. He was defending the Gentiles' right to worship. And so instead of going to the leaders and submitting himself to the Jewish leadership, which is what they would have wanted, he claims authority over the temple of God. And he kicks these money changers out, says, get out. This is not what this temple is supposed to be about. This is the house of God. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. So he kicks them out and people are probably like, what's going on? This is not what we expected at all. So over the course of the week, he teaches, he confronts the leaders. People know something's happening, but they don't know what. Everybody's getting ready for Passover. And so Passover comes and Jesus's disciples are sent by Jesus to find a man carrying a jar of water and follow him to a house that would have a guest room ready. Now, people who came into the city for these holidays would have family who knew they were coming. The place was packed. And to find a man carrying a jar of water, it was so planned. It was so clearly God's design. He's like, hey, you're going to see this guy. You're going to follow him. He's where we're having our Passover meal. Just so wild. And so they go to this guest room, the upper room, we call it to celebrate the Passover meal together. And we see this in Mark 14, Luke 22. And what Jesus does is he takes this Passover meal that celebrates, that remembers God saving his people from Egypt, sparing his people from slavery. They celebrate this moment as Passover, as the night that the angel of death passed over the homes of the Jewish people who had followed God's instructions. And had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. Lots of symbolism there I could go into. And so during this dinner, Jesus is with his disciples, knowing what's coming that night. And he still does this. So Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, remember this, this is my body broken for you. You didn't mess with the Passover. The Passover was tradition. And here he is changing the Passover Changing the liturgy? What is he doing? Then he takes a cup of wine and says, This is my blood, the blood of the covenant spilled for you. So they go on with dinner, and that became our Lord's Supper. He told us to celebrate it to remember him. After this point, Judas runs off and goes and tells the leadership who had been plotting to kill Jesus. Now, the problem is they want to arrest Jesus and they want to have him killed, but The crowds love him, so they can't do it publicly. They're going to have to do it secretly, so they're going to have to know where he is at night. You know, they're going to have to know where he is outside of the public eye. And they don't know that. Plus, they're not allowed to kill him. The Jewish leadership is not allowed to put someone to death. They're under Roman rule. So he has to be found guilty by the Roman authorities. And Rome had laws. They had Justice systems. Now it wasn't great, but it was far better than you know a lot of the systems at the time. And so what were they going to do? They were going to have to figure out a way. Well, anyway, Judas comes and sells out Jesus says, I'll point him out to you. They give him 30 pieces of silver. Meanwhile, Jesus and his disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying. You know, he knows what's coming and he did it anyway. And what kills me is the disciples couldn't even stay awake. They wouldn't even stay awake with him. He just asked them to stay with him in his moment of sorrow and struggle. He had been there for them and it was their turn to be there for him and they couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They fell asleep not given they'd had wine with Passover, but still, you know, and he's up praying and the angels comfort him after he submits to the plan, which, you know, he didn't have to do guys. He's sovereign. He's God. He didn't have to do it, but he knew that's why he was there. And so sure enough, the Jewish authorities show up and Judas greets him with a kiss, which is just so wrong. I mean, selling him out with a kiss and his disciples stand up for him and try to fight, and Jesus says no, and he lets them arrest him, and and the disciples get scared and run off, leave him alone, and he gets drugged to the high priest. Now, Jewish trials were supposed to be held during the daytime, but we know that this trial was at night, which shows that they were doing something underhanded and sneaky. The Sanhedrin did not hold the trial according to their proper procedure. They had a way that they were supposed to do things and they were not following it. And so instead they simply accuse him and force him to incriminate himself and he won't do it. He won't participate. He knows that they're not going to believe him. They can't condemn him of anything until finally they ask him, are you the Messiah? And he says, pretty much. Yeah. And they're like, oh, blasphemy. There it is. We've got it. We don't need any more witnesses. We're good. He has to die. Blasphemy is punishable by death. Well, to the Jews, but not to the Romans. They couldn't kill him without Roman authorization. So they drag him to Pontius Pilate. Keep in mind, this is going on overnight, all night long. So they drag him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who was staying at Herod's palace. He asks, are you the king of the Jews? Because that's what they're trying to get him in trouble for. Now, he had blasphemed according to them. Obviously, that's not a reason for the Romans to condemn him to death because they're not Jews and they don't really care about that kind of thing. They're, you know, polytheistic. has struck before Pilate and Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so. Now, Pilate heard all of this and he asked Jesus whether or not he was a Galilean. And when he found out that he was, he realized he was under Herod's jurisdiction. So he sent Jesus over to Herod who was pretty excited to see him because he had heard about this Jesus person and he really wanted to see a miracle just kind of for fun. And so he questions Jesus for a long time, but Jesus did not answer him. And so the chief priests and the scribes were standing by just accusing him nonstop. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt. They mocked him because they were mad. He wouldn't do any special signs for him. And I guess Herod's pretty used to getting his way. So they treated him with contempt. They mocked him. And then they put on him splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. They were making fun of him for being the king of the Jews. So Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. This is all in Luke chapter 23. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Now, Pilate calls together the chief priests at this point, and he calls together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he says to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to me. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I'm just going to punish him and release him. And I think it's wild that he was going to punish him anyway, even though he had done nothing wrong. The Jewish elders were just jealous and wanting to get rid of this guy because he was causing trouble for them, but he hadn't done anything worthy of death. At the same time, he doesn't want to make the Jewish leadership mad because if they go and complain to the emperor. He might be out of a job. He's kind of in a pickle here. So instead of doing the right thing and releasing Jesus and dealing with it and doing the honorable thing what he does is he remembers i guess that it's a custom for him to release a prisoner back to the people. If they wanted a certain prisoner released back to them, that he would do that. And so what he does is he takes this Barabbas guy who is a notorious criminal and says, do you want, do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Thinking the crowd loved Jesus. They were going to say Jesus and he was going to be fine. It wouldn't be his problem anymore. It wasn't his fault. The people picked Jesus, but it didn't work. The people were riled up by the Jewish leadership and cried out that, They want Barabbas freed, which was just not what Pilate had expected. He's like, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas, and Pilate says to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And Pilate says, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he wasn't working, he was gaining nothing. And then actually a riot was beginning. He took water. He washes his hands before the crowd saying, not my problem. I'm innocent of this man's blood. Basically saying, this is your fault. Y'all are calling for this. He's innocent. But if you want him crucified, it's on you. And says, see to it yourselves. And the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Like they wanted him dead that badly. Pilate releases Barabbas to the people. And then he has Jesus scourged and then delivered to be crucified. So it's an honor-shame culture, and the worst thing you can do to someone is shame them. And so that's what they do. That's part of why crucifixion is the worst punishment. It's the one they reserve for the worst of the worst. A Roman citizen can't be crucified. They're protected from that. So what they do is they take Jesus. This is in Matthew 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gather the whole battalion before him and they strip him naked. So shame, shame, shame. Then they put a scarlet robe on him. They're making fun of him for claiming to be the king of the Jews. And they twist together a crown of thorns and they jam it onto his head. They put a reed in his right hand and they kneel before him and they mock him and they say, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they hit him with it on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, led him away to crucify him. So before this, they had scourged him, which involves not just whipping them. This is a violent, horrifying thing that can very easily kill a person. So they take a whip and it's rope. And at the end are like, shards of sharp bone and metal weights. So what it does, it draws the blood to the surface with the metal, pounding it. And then the shards rip into the skin and yank the skin off. And this is done over and over. So it's ripping skin off down to the meat. It is violent. So he would have lost considerable amount of blood. In that process, it was certainly enough to kill. And then in the process of mocking him, they put that scarlet robe over him. Now his back is torn to shreds. They're hitting him. They're spitting on him. He's got that crown of thorns jammed into his head. Then he has to take this big old cross and drag it through town. It's meant to shame him. It's made to make him hurt on the inside and the outside. It's meant to humiliate him. It's meant to make his death violent and painful and extended, it's just torture, knowing it's gonna end in death and there's nothing you can do to stop it. So he has to carry the cross and he's lost so much blood and he's so weak that he can't do it. And so someone has to help him carry his cross and they nail him. Now you might see pictures of the nails in the hands, but that's not the place they were nailed because that would have just ripped right out. They put giant nails in between the two main bones of the forearm. There's a nerve that runs there. You know when you hit your funny bone, how bad that hurts? That's that nerve. And so they pretty much pierce that nerve. And it's a strong place because to breathe, you have to pull against that. And so it's excruciating. It's meant to be tortured. They knew what they were doing. And so they would nail the arms and nail the feet and you would die from asphyxiation you would suffocate because in order to breathe, you could breathe in, but you couldn't breathe out hanging like that. Your chest muscles wouldn't let you. So you'd have to pull against the nails in your arm on that nerve to get a breath out so that you could breathe in again. And keep in mind to do this, you're dragging your raw back against that rough wood. So every single breath is agonizing. Every single breath is excruciating until you're so physically worn out that you can't pull yourself up anymore and you die. This could take hours. Sometimes it could take days. Jesus is so weak. It only took hours. He was hung at nine o'clock and by noon was dead. Now they were experts at killing. There's a theory called the swoon theory that Jesus did not die on the cross, but merely passed out or fainted or appeared to be dead doesn't work that way the roman guards are professionals not only that it's not just their job on the line it's their life on the line if they let someone survive an execution they're executed so there's no way that happened but beyond that what they would do is if you're taking too long to die they would break your legs so you couldn't push up against your legs to breathe and that would end your life. But Jesus was already dead and they could tell. So what they would do is they shoved a spear between his ribs into his heart and pericardial fluid came out showing he was already dead. And this has been shown in modern medical journals. JAMA uh, had an article about this showing that Jesus very much died on the cross. And then he was taken to a tomb. Sometimes they dishonored the body by letting it be eaten by dogs, but sometimes they allowed them to be buried. And in this case, Joseph of Arimathea offered his tomb, a, a new tomb, and allowed Jesus to be buried. Now, the Roman governors knew about this whole movement and knew that there'd been rumors of this Jesus person saying he was gonna rise from the dead. So he put guards in front of the tomb of Jesus to make sure that nobody stole the body. On top of that, there was a big stone in front of it. Now, keep in mind that while he's dying, he's forgiving the Romans who are doing this to him. He forgave them in that moment. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Talk about grace. So the moment he gives up his spirit to God, the sky goes black at noon and it stays black until 3 p.m. God blotted out the sun. In that moment, an earthquake shook. And the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, that separated the area that only the high priest could go into once a year from the rest of the temple, the symbolic seat of God on earth, the curtain that separated that, split from top to bottom, split in half. I mean, this was a moment The Roman centurion, he was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. When this happened, he said, surely this was the son of God. He realized what had happened. And the people who had been there mocking Jesus and, and laughing at him and making fun of him ran home, beating their breast, hitting their chest is what the Hebrews would do as a sign of intense sadness and extreme grief. So everybody knew what had happened. They realized right away that they had killed the Messiah. And I cannot imagine the guilt that came over these people. So Jesus is buried. And then on Sunday morning, the women come to put oils and herbs and spices on the body. They show up to the tomb that was guarded by Roman soldiers and the stones rolled away. And Jesus isn't in the tomb, but his burial cloths are there. Now, even if he had been buried perfectly healthy, had been wrapped up, left in the tomb perfectly healthy, he couldn't have gotten out with the stone. He was being guarded by Roman guards whose lives were on the line should something happen. And he's covered in like 100 pounds of ointment and cloths and goo and his cloths are sitting there and he's not there. And the angels show up and and let the ladies know that Jesus has risen from the dead and the women go running off. And a lot of people overlook the fact that there were women who were the first to find out that Jesus had risen from the dead. In that culture, women were not considered reliable witnesses and so if people were making up this story, they would not have had women be the initial witnesses of Jesus's resurrection, which just shows how true it is. I think that's fascinating. And so Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, he appeared to so many people. He ate with them. He drank with them. He talked with them, walked with them. He appeared to 500 people at one time. So you may think, okay, one person thinks they see Jesus. All right. Maybe it's a hallucination. Maybe they just really wish that Jesus was still alive. Maybe they're lying. 500 people at one time who would give their testimony about it. Paul said, go talk to them. A lot of them are still here. A lot of them are still around. People didn't move around back then the way they do today. And so Jesus hung around for 40 days, teaching his disciples all he wanted them to know. And then he went back to heaven and said, I've got something coming for you. Wait until I send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And God sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then his disciples went and shared the good news with everybody. Everything changed. It's a new covenant. It's a new relationship. It's what everybody had been waiting for from the Garden of Eden on, from the initial sin mistake, from the initial rebellion against God. Everything had been pointing forward to Jesus. He fulfilled all the prophecies in one person, which mathematically and scientifically impossible couldn't be in one person, but he did. He fulfilled them all. He performed miraculous deeds. He rose from the dead. He rose other people from the dead. It's just amazing, guys. I can't wait to get into some of the evidence for all of this, all the biblical and extra biblical evidence and talk about the archeology span and everything. We'll talk about it. But I just wanted to share with you this Easter week, why we celebrate why this week is so important and why Friday, good Friday, we celebrate it even though it's so horrible to think about. But then when you think about he did all that, he went through that because he loves you so much that he wants to restore you to relationship with God. It makes it all make sense, doesn't it? It's wonderful, guys. It's good news. It is the good news. Very glad to be able to share that with you. And I will catch you guys next week. Happy Easter. Bye.